I'm Mike Veerman. I'm a writer, producer, and director for the Bell Creative Agency at Much. And this is the Mike on Much podcast. Welcome to the first episode of the Mike on Much podcast. I am your host, Mike Veerman, and I am here with my producer and friend, Max Kerman. Yeah, producer is a very loose term here. <laughs> I don't have any shoes on. You're wearing headphones, and I don't know how to even work GarageBand. But your moral support is important. Yeah. Would you say you're more of a producer or a friend? <laughs> I think I'm more of a friend in this situation. Okay, I'll take that as well. Uh, you might know Max Kerman as the lead singer of the Arkells. Max, you're in that band? I am. Yeah. But, uh, you know, that's my day job. This is... Uh, this is your real passion? This is my real passion. Podcasting? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, so Max and I, in this first episode, I guess we just want to let you guys know exactly what we're doing here, what this show is going to be all about and, and how we're going to go forward. Uh, basically we're going to come on, uh, every episode has a featured guest. This episode has lights, as you may have noticed. Lovely lights. Maybe exactly why you downloaded this podcast is because you don't want to hear me. You just want to get to lights. Uh, But I got news for you. Radio land. You're stuck with us. (laughs) Is is that what they're called? Radio land (laughs) or podcast land? I don't know. Um, so we'll set the scene of that interview and how it took place and some of the things we get to. Then we get to the interview. And then after that, we have uh, our good friend and my colleague at Much, Shane Cunningham, come on. And uh, we like to call this part of the episode the dessert. The dessert. Because the episode. It comes after the meal. It comes after the main course. Yeah, which is the interview, the feature interview. And sort of the thing that we wanted to do when we started these podcasts was talk to anybody in the arts, making a living in it, sort of being creative, whether you're writing, whether you're directing, whether you're acting, whether you're making music, whether you're painting. Um, whatever you're I don't doing. know. I don't really have any painting guests lined up. I've booked a couple. You've booked a couple of visual artists. They're street artists, but <laughs> okay. I think they just want to come into the podcast place where it's not <laughs> where it's warm. Let's not make fun of homeless painters. Uh, <laughs> um, so um, ultimately, we're going to talk to anybody that we think is fascinating. Uh, My one producer note is you can't say the word fascinating too much. I picked it up from Spock years ago. Uh, yeah. Hey. Yeah. See, I'm working right now, guys. You are working. This is Radio good. Land. They're getting a look inside. So yeah, we just want to chat with them, find out how they do their work, what motivates them, uh, a whole plethora of things, um, which you guys will get to sort of learn as you continue to listen to the show, and we hope you do. And for this specific episode, like we said, we're going to have our friend Shane Cunningham come on, and he's a bit of a pop culture aficionado. He's seen a million movies. We love to talk movies, so we have him come on and talk about that stuff. And in this episode specifically, you'll hear about his sort of start working in film. He was almost arrested, though. He, that is, now you're teasing. Too much. Okay, sorry. Come for the dinner, which is lights. Yeah. Stay for the dessert, which is Shane. Yeah, and and subscribe. That's my other job to tell the listeners to subscribe to the podcast because that's important. All right, Max. Mm-hmm. So we go to interview lights, and I'll tell you. So one of the ways this podcast has been possible is because Max, uh, through his sort of um, adventures in the Arkells, has made lots of friends. So you know, in the beginning, as this thing's gotten rolling. We basically have to lean on Max's connections to get interviews. One of those connections is Lights. Yes. So she kindly gave us, you know, a good 40 minutes to sit down and chat about a whole bunch of things. She was very gracious. That was my one Lights card. And I played it on this podcast. And you played it well. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. No more favors from her. No. Man, but you are producing the shit out of this podcast. Hey. Getting interviews, <laughs> crushing coffees. I'm, uh, yeah, that, all the things a producer ought to be doing. So we get there. We, get, we meet her at this, uh, we end up interviewing her in this, this like wedding ballroom. Yeah, banquet hall in a Hamilton. A banquet hall in yeah. Hamilton. And it looked almost like it was set up for a wedding later that evening. Uh, and we go in and we're, we're going to meet her. And the weird thing is Max obviously knows her. And I don't know if Lights knows this, but I was in a band and we'd opened for Lights a couple times. But this is like four years ago. And so part of me is like, is she going to know me? I don't know if she's going to 
going to know me. My hair was longer then. Maybe I'm kind of forgettable. And my, my move is just go for the hug no matter what, <laughs> which makes some people uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> but yeah. she's very gracious, so I told you not to worry about it. Totally. And to this day, we still don't know if she knew me from the band because I didn't bring it up. No, it was unspoken. <laughs> I, was, I don't say that shit. I was like, I just kept it moving. Uh, but I did go for the hug based on your advice. Yeah, and she's I, a pro though too. Total pro. Yeah. Long story long, Lights was very generous with her time and her opinions and her thoughts, and it was an amazing conversation, and we were really uh, happy to have her. So, again, welcome to the first episode of the Mike on Much podcast. We hope you're with us for a long time. Let's get to the interview. Right. Did you ever watch the movie Tusk? With um, Justin Long. Justin Long. Johnny yeah, Depp. Canadian movie. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. No, I didn't see it. How was it? It, it? That was the product of Kevin Smith's podcast, where they were just bantering about, like, this horrible movie where someone turns into a walrus, like someone's turned into a walrus, walrus by a mad it. scientist. And like, it excited me about the potential that can come from a podcast. Like just, just mindless banter. Oh, yeah. Oh, there's a lot, yeah. a lot of mindless banter yeah. on our podcast. Yeah. So. <laughs> it's a gem, really. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I love that we're at a wedding table right I now. I know. This is so random. It really was is. this the room you were in a wedding last? No, I was in the building like next door. There's like a whole like kind of banquet hall next door called Carmen's, which is where like people I went to high school with get married like on the regular. Not like the same people getting married over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> Different people. That would be an idea though. Yeah, yeah. Let's just jump into this thing. Let's do it. Um, you have a reputation for being very generous uh, with your time uh, when it comes to your fans and you know interaction with your fans. Where do you think that comes from? I think I, uh, I don't like letting people down. I don't like saying no very, I'm not very good at it. And that, that has turned itself into something where I just have learned to be passionate about everybody and compassionate. And I love my fans and I love, I just like love people. And I think that when it comes to that kind of thing, it's, it's easy. You know? Right. It's easy right. to connect with them. And especially when people come up to you and, and tell you their story. I mean, I get, I get that a lot. I do a lot of, mean good to my shows and I've spent, spent years hanging out with people after shows and you get you get a lot of personal stories from people and that makes it not just a, a us and them thing it's like a we thing and you feel really connected with them. Do you think that comes from like growing up your parents is it something that you think is learned or do you think that it was always kind of there? I think it's all it was always there but yeah I think that being raised a homeschooled kid I had this really great connection with my family and they taught me these really cool values about loving people and making sure that that was foremost. And if you, if you hate something or hate somebody, um, don't, don't like act on it. You know, I think that that's the number one thing that, that messes up the world is that people always act on their negative thoughts as opposed to acting on their positive ones. Right. And, and I always prefer to do that. So, you know, how does homeschooling work, actually? I'm always very fascinated by that. It can work a few different ways. Um, my mom taught us. She just ordered workbooks, and okay. we had she made a schedule. She's really organized, so which, I, which I've really learned now that she's touring with me. And, <laughs> and she sits there and wakes up in the morning and, and goes like, okay, so today you are going into check, and you're coming back, and you're doing an interview. And she just has to get it all blocked out in her head. I'm like, wow, okay, that makes sense why that worked. Why maybe it doesn't work out the same with some other homeschool families, but she was a great teacher and she made everything really fun and exciting. And the only class she didn't teach was music. That was my dad. Um, every wow. Tuesday we got to do music and she had her day to do whatever she needed. And and that was that was like the fun day. We got to get go to the corner store, get candy, and play music. Right, that was the best day. Did you? Was it easy? I mean, was it easy to sort of? Were you excited about learning and education, or were you kind of like most students, where it's like, ah, I don't really want to do that today? I I, I liked. There are certain things I liked more than others. Like, <clears throat> I'm not really a math science kind of guy, but 
I was always into language and, and that kind of thing. And then when I went to school for the first time, that really became clear. I really gravitated towards literature and like art classes. When you, you mean like traditional school, like when you eventually? Well, when I eventually went, yeah, yeah. grade eight was my first year of, of public school. And, and was that a, a, a weird adjustment or, a, or did you find it pretty seamless? It was weird. It was weird. I was, I didn't know um, like how to dress really. Right. Or like I had, in our homeschool friendship group, we had our own styles that brewed and became like crazed between all, us, all of us. It was like a few different families. And then I went to school and none of the trends that we, that brewed within our group were like cool in the world. It was kind of, we didn't have social media or anything, right? Right, so you'd sort so of- I didn't know, it was like, whatever we thought was cool just didn't really translate. So I, I just focused on my schoolwork and by the first year of school, I, I got hundreds in all my classes. And then as school progressed, my marks dwindled. When <laughs> as it became more important, like quote unquote, more important to be cool. Yeah, fit in. Yeah, yeah, and that the, those two those two things just don't go together, and you just have to kind of decide where you are at. But luckily for me, in in that time, I my music career started, and I was always gone to Toronto writing sessions, and I'd been signed when I was still in high school. So you're already on sort of a unique yeah, path, so yeah. it's easier to. <clears throat> and I I finished and got a few scholarships because I still put effort in my mom. As organized as she was, never let me, you know, get away from get away with not doing schoolwork. But Slack I already all. had something going. Uh, you were saying that you looked forward to uh, the music classes that your dad taught. Um, yeah. Was music a big part of your family growing up? I mean, outside of those classes. Um. Yeah, for sure. I mean, my dad has been playing plays music in the house all, growing up all the time. I think the first time I realized that how powerful music was was. Uh, I would get night terrors when we lived with, I lived in the Philippines for a while and it was just like, you hear things going on in the streets and I remember there were cockroaches would crawl up my legs. Like there's just things How old you can't. You? Uh, I was there from uh, six to nine. Wow. So, um, and I, I just, you know, I'd see things in the walls. You know, when you're a kid, you just, you know, your mind plays tricks on you. And whenever he would play his guitar and he always, you know, when everyone went to bed, he would sit downstairs and play his guitar. And our house was kind of open concept so that you could hear everything. And as soon as he would start playing, everything was fine. Everything, I could go to sleep. It was like everything was going to be okay. And I remember thinking how, how important that feeling was, that something that doesn't actually exist is, can affect us so much. And it can make me not afraid, and it can inspire me, you know. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I wanna, that's like magic. I want to be able to do that. Yeah. So music was always a big part, and he was always, you know, playing records. And he loved old school rock, so. Right. He was in all kinds of bands growing up, but it didn't end up, working out for him, so he's, he's an architect. How old were you when you sort of started writing your first songs, playing instruments, and we were like, you know what, I'm going to start getting into music? And I was 11 when I first picked up a guitar. He taught me, like, D, E minor, and G. Right. And I was like, oh, my goodness, i got to write something. And I, I, I ran upstairs and, and sat down and got this notebook out, and I was like, okay, I'm going to write a song, and realized I didn't know the first thing about writing a song. Like, where do you start when you don't know how to write a song? So I'm like, okay, I need, I need lyrics. And, and I knew that, um, like, royalty-free, there was 150 psalms in the Bible because, you know, wow. they've been around for yeah. ages. Those so, words are everyone. <laughs> yeah, anyone can take them, right? And I, know, I knew that those, each one of those psalms um, was a song at one point. So they're sung in some kind of melodic way. Sometimes you read them and they're translated, so you can't really figure out what the pattern is, but they're poetic and pretty beautiful. So I told my mom to pick a number between 1 and 150, and she picked... 20 or something and that was the first song I wrote I took those lyrics and turned them into a song and I like restructured the words and 
gave it a melody. It was called Leave Me. Um, you mentioned living in the Philippines, and I'd read that you sort of lived all over the place. Um, that can be negative and positive. Did you view that as really challenging, or did you see it as like an experience, or you know, a chance to learn and experience new things? Like, how did how did it ultimately affect you, and how did you view it? Um, well, it was my life. Like, I don't, I didn't know any other way. <clears throat> I wouldn't be able to speak on any other lifestyle because that was what I was raised in. And I can see it only as being positive because I'm happy where I am in my life. So, <laughs> at the time, did you feel that way, or is it? Yeah, well, you didn't know reflection? any other way. I mean, I've been moving around as long as I can remember, so it's not like you can miss what you don't have. Like I. I don't have any friends that I had from when I was young. You just have to say bye to them and you never see them again. Like, I, I made friends when I was in the Philippines and we were friends for years, and then you move away and you just never talk to them again. And that's just kind of the way it's always been. And now I have a few friends, but they're very close friends, and, they, and you learn that once you have a sense of yourself that you know what kind of people you get along with, and then those people are in your life, those people can maintain the long-distance friendships and it's no problem. But, uh, yeah, you just... You learn to let go of things a little bit better. Needless to say, I would never be—I would never be able to be like a hoarder. Cause I, you just have to throw things out all the time. Mm-hmm. You can never have too much because you're always trying to live out of a suitcase. There's not like a, a sadness or melancholy to moving on because no. that's the, re- the only reality. No, you know. I think it's really healthy. In fact, sometimes it feels good to like purge your belongings and move on to the next phase. You know, like you know when you have you get too many clothes or something, you're like, I have to give some of this to Goodwill. And you sit there and you contemplate one of the shirts and think, maybe I'll wear this someday. I should keep it. And then you're like, who am I kidding? There's this freedom to being like, who am I kidding? I'm not going to wear this. Move on. Right. This is taking up room in my wardrobe. That could be something newer and better about me. I think a lot of people have, have trouble with that, though. You it's, know? it's tough. It's tough. But it's a, it's a freeing thing to, to be able to let go of, of things and just there's some kind of clamp in our head. And as soon as you can let that go, it's like, whoa, okay, moving on. That's mm-hmm. good. When did you know, at what point, I mean, like you said, you were writing songs and you are sort of discovering music and, and your own creativity. At what point did you sort of definitively know, and was there a moment where you go, I want this to be my life, I want this to be my career? I was, like, naively positive that that would be my career my entire life. Never a doubt. No, never a doubt. And, and it wasn't until, you know, I actually got in the music industry that I realized, wow, I can't believe this actually happened. Because you, you start to learn that it's actually not that easy and, and that it's not you know, that common mm-hmm. to be able to turn into something. But I, I was, maybe it came with the, the homeschooling thing where it was, I, I didn't have like that social standard to measure myself up to. No one was saying, oh, well, look at all these other people that want to do it or no, you're not good enough. It was just like, I can do whatever I want. And for me, it was music and I was going to do it. And if you can write songs and record, then why the hell wouldn't it work out? And that's what it did. But I think by the time I'd figured it out, I was already balls deep in it. <laughs> right. right, right. <laughs> and... And there was no turning back at that point. Because I would moved to Toronto when I was 18. My family was living on the West Coast. <clears throat> and I like literally left everything behind, moved on a whim. After writing the first song that I really felt I wanted to release officially as myself. Because before, before that point, it was just experimentation and trying to find out what my sound was. I knew I was eventually going to find it. I just didn't know what it was. I Honestly, I was in a metal band. I was, um, I was doing like like heavy sort of goth stuff under this under the name uh, Veronica X, and I had this MySpace page set. I was set up MySpace pages <laughs> under all these different pseudonyms, you know, well, try you different do, styles of music. Just to get a feel of what people thought, or just, just to explore express. facets of your creativity and, and, and whatever ones felt the most natural, you move on. Like, I had this one called Semicolon You that was, like, ambient, like, weird sounds and, like, reverbed out vocals that didn't really make any sense, really super poetic, and 
it just like you know, and I did graphics and vi- like a whole design for each artist. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really, you know, you you find out what works for you and what doesn't. And those pages are probably somewhere still on MySpace. I don't remember my logins, <laughs> yeah, and I can't delete them, so I don't know. They're out but, there. Yeah, if people yeah. want to find them. Hopefully not. Um, <laughs> but uh, eventually, I mean, lights was my nickname for a long time, and. When I fi- first wrote February Air, it was in 2006, and that was the first time I found electronic and, like, this sort of lo-fi electronic soft synth pop. I, there wasn't anything like that in 2006. And I opened my first MySpace, at, MySpace page as Lights, and that was when it moved for me. So that was when I knew, and on a whim, two months later after writing that, I wrote that on Valentine's Day and moved to Toronto in March. Wow. Um, and, like, packed up my tarantula into, like, a sandwich container, put them in my carry-on. Flew them. No one noticed. <laughs> Nobody noticed that I had a tarantula in my bag. And then, you know, went to Toronto. My mom came with me, and we were just dry, like wandering around Toronto looking for apartments, and found one, and moved into it. And then she left me there, and it was, yeah. It was, did did you like when you're like I'm doing this? Did your parents support you immediately? Were they like go for it? Clearly, I mean your mom. Oh yeah. Came with, yeah. Oh, they were the ones who put the idea in my head that I could do it. And I think that's, the arts that's and yeah. You can you can do it. Like I think that's what every parent should make their child believe. Um, people are all about this thing. Oh, don't give somebody false hope. It's like there's no such thing as false hope. Hope is what guides you to whatever ultimate path you're trying to go to. And if you don't have that, you're not going to make it. So I think that they they they're the reason I'm doing it. Probably. Mm-hmm. Plus, my dad wanted to live vicariously through someone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> someone in this yeah. family's making yeah. it uh, as a musician. With, you know, I mean, you seem incredibly driven and ambitious. And I think with, there's a lot of people that can be wildly creative. They can create music or whatever, um, write songs, but maybe they don't have that other component. You know, not, they don't have the drive or the ambition that's to like sort of succeed. Yeah. Do you think that that's natural for you? Did you have it or did you learn it? Like, does it, does it have to be inherent for someone yeah, or can it be has, a learned I skill? I think that has to be inherent. I, I don't think you can learn drive. I think talent is, I think talent Talent is inherent, but I think that skill is something that can be learned and, and uh, you know, genre is something that can be discovered. But drive isn't something that you can gain. It has to be something that you want. I mean, dr- drive is a result of desire. It's a result of wanting something. And if you don't want something, you don't want something. Like, you, you're just not going to want to go for it. Right. And I think that comes with vision. And if you have a vision for what you are and what you want to be, drive is the access to that vision. And that's what's kind of taken me here the whole time. And it's not because I want to be famous and make money. It's like I see this beautiful thing ahead and I want to, I want to watch myself become that, you know. So you're obviously in a, a sort of, I don't even know if I call it a different phase, but now you're married yeah. uh, and you have a baby. Can you talk about the differences between being on tour pre-baby and post-baby? Um, can't get yeah, there, right? yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's the, a, a big one. Like, you can't go out. There's no going out after the no, show. No, there's no spontaneity when it comes to like, hey, let's pop by this bar that looks really cool. Like, there's a barcade down the street or, you know, our friends are playing two doors down. Like, there's not really that option. But that's okay. I think I'm at that time in my life where I, I, I've done all that. I've been touring for years and, and like, going out is fun. And I can do it every now and then. But I think in the last even, you know, year or two leading up to having a baby, I was already gravitating towards just staying in and playing Skyrim or staying in and playing video games. And I'd rather kind of do that than go out. And, and so it was kind of a natural transition for me. You know, I get off stage, I do my meet and greet, go in the bus, I'm with my little girl, I'm, you know, reading to her, playing a video game, watching a movie, and then we go to bed. And it's, 
it's life. It's just life. Like, touring isn't, for me, it's not like, yeah, I want to tour for a month. Okay, can't wait to party every night. It's not like a vacation. It's it's just life. Mm-hmm. And and I try to make it as natural as possible. And that it feels more natural than ever. I think because of that, you're with, it's just more, you're, you're, there's the direction now. Like, it's it's a side thing in, in almost a way. Like, you're on this great adventure with your family and your loved ones and this person that you're helping to create. And, and on the side, you're doing shows. Yeah. It's good. Uh, you hear a lot of people say, you know, once you become a parent, everything else becomes easier. Because, yeah. I guess, you but know. Nothing's harder, yeah. yeah. Does that change sort of uh, how, you know, you as a performer? When you walk on the stage, are the anxieties less? Because it's like, you know, I've got this thing that's sort of greater than me or yeah. however you view it. Totally. A hundred percent. I, after childbirth, anything is easy. Everything's easy. <laughs> All things are easy. Um, walking on stage is easy. I don't get nervous like I used to. I think I have... I feel more confident. I feel more comfortable in my own skin. I feel okay about not looking perfect all the time. I feel sexier than ever. I feel like more like a woman. Um, my tits are bigger. So. <laughs> that, that, that was even the next question. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you, and, that was like my exact fact, wording. Yeah. And in fact, they are. And it may not be like that forever, but for now, I'm enjoying it. And, <laughs> and it, uh, it's definitely... Um, makes everything else more fun because you're just less worried about all the bullshit. It's it's true. There's so many things that I used to worry about that I think back on now that I was like, why why did that why did I worry about that there's so so many things that are so much more important. Right. And and it's not that there's more important things to worry about, it's that it just doesn't matter. And life is more fun. Yeah. Just enjoy it. You guys aren't the first musicians to have a baby, obviously, but as someone that's toured for, you know, as a touring musician, do you ever think ahead and go, oh, I wonder what life's going to look like when my daughter's in school, or how does this look? Or are you sort of like, we'll get there when we get there? Yeah, I've, I've adopted that more, like, take it a day at a time vibe. Uh, when I first found out I was having a baby, I was, like, overwhelmed looking ahead. And uh, I remember the moment I found it, I was having a baby, and in my career flashed before my eyes. You know, you don't know what's going to happen, and... And you can't picture it because it hasn't happened yet, and you've never been there, and you've never experienced it. Every every day is something new, and you figure out how to do it when you when you get to it. Because just looking ahead is just it's way too much. It's intimidating. There's a lot. It's intimidating, and there's no point because nothing ever turns out the way you expect it to turn out. People always ask, you know, what's a five year goal? Where, where do you see yourself in five years or ten years? Like, I have no fucking idea. Like everything that I thought didn't happen the way that I am. Picture okay. Here, the first picture of fame when I was thirteen, I was like, okay, I want to get famous. Is was me at the ski hill, being recognized and like, oh, that person, that's that's that person. And I was like, yeah. And so I couldn't wait to get to the ski hill, and get be famous at the ski hill. And then, lo and behold, years later, after I had some recognition, I was snowboarding. This is a couple years ago, and these two guys going over the chairlift were like, hey, that's lights. And I was like, this is like my dream. You had your moment. And then, and then I completely hit a stick that was coming out of the, <laughs> out of the snow and wiped out so hard and cracked a rib. Oh, and, and they're like, nice one, as the, as the chairlift passes. And I was like, well, it never turns out the way that you anticipated. Right. Um, you were talking about, you know, feeling sexier than you ever felt. And, you know, you're in the business of rock and roll. Uh, so presentation, sex appeal can be a big part of it, you know, from photo shoots to videos, stage wardrobe. Yeah. How much thought do you give to that aspect of the whole business, you know, knowing that someone might judge you before they even hear one yeah. of your songs? I think about it a good amount. I mean, I think it's it's obviously something I enjoy. I enjoy getting dressed in the clothes that I like and looking and feeling like the person I want to be. And, and there's a lot of thought that goes into that. that. I mean, 
when I look at something, it's not that it's um, like a like a labor-intensive thought. I think it's just what I naturally gravitate towards. And if I see something that I don't like, I definitely know I don't like it. And if I see something that I like, I know I want to get into it. I mean, I'm, I'm inspired by, like, the style of, like, Laura Croft and Lightning from Final Fantasy. And it's, like, anything that reminds me of that feeling where you're comfortable but you're still sexy and you're powerful. And you, you can do karate if you wanted right. in your stage outfit. I think that's, you know, it, it, it all plays in. And that's, I have my own sense of, of what I like to to put on and I definitely put thought into it. It's not like I just don't, you know, I can tell you I don't really care what I put on in the morning, but I do. I mean, I put energy into it. I think everybody, everybody does. does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm always interested in people who are super resilient and we've been talking to so many great creative people on this podcast. Max says you're actually one of the most uh, smart and thoughtful people he knows. Oh. Hey, I would say the same about you. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's true. I love you, Max. <laughs> um, but yeah, so this year has been incredibly eventful for you in a number of ways and some ways difficult and without, you know, having to get specific, can you talk about how you deal with, uh, you know, that kind of adversity, um, like who you turn to for comfort, you know what I mean, um, when you need to process sort of your thoughts or anything like that? Well, you know, it's just, I just vent and, like, swear a bunch and yell. I, it, I just let it all vent out every couple days if I need to. If, and it's usually spurred on by, like, it's a layer of things um, and you just get it out and I think it's it's to who I can trust to say that to that knows I'm not telling the truth. Like my mom or, or Ashley or Bo, where I just say all these really mean things just to get them out. And I don't mean any of them. Right. But it feels good. I think that's important. I don't let things bottle up. I just, I think it's important to just let yourself be mad sometimes. But not be held accountable to but what you But not be say. held accountable for it. Like, I'm always very, very mindful of what I say in a public space or online, and uh, I, have, I still believe that, you know, if you don't have something nice to say, don't say it, so I, I never vent like that. But when I have somebody in front of me that knows that I, knows me and knows that what I'm saying I don't really believe in, you know, then it's good. That's, when, that's who you can vent to, because there's so much forgiveness with people like that. It's good to have a nice circle like that, that yeah. you can sort of say what you need to say. Yeah, just a few you know. people in your life that, that... There's no bullshit. Like, you just vent and yell and scream, and then you're good for, for a few more days. It's time for our final segment, Max. Yeah, I just want to let listeners know that little nugget of music is a secret track uh, written by a singer of a pretty well-known Canadian rock and roll band. He's lent us the song, uh, but we're not allowed to say what the song's called or who it even is. Wow, a mystery for our listeners. Yeah. Tune in for another episode. <laughs> See, they always said in showbiz you need cliffhangers. Yeah, you'll find out in the season finale. <laughs> yeah. So we're here, the final segment of the show. We're going to bring on our friend, Shane Cunningham. A Hamiltonian. A Hamiltonian, uh, much like us. He normally would talk about movies and pop culture at large, but we thought for the first episode, we'd just get to Shane's origin in the film industry. Yeah, we want you to get to know Shane a little bit. Let's get to it. Shane, one of the reasons you're a big movie buff is you used to work at a movie theater, didn't you? I did, yes. I was fired from a movie theater also. What, what age were you? I was uh, 19. 19. Yes. Late bloomer at the movie theater. Yeah, it was my first real job, actually. In Hamilton? Uh, it was in Silver City, Ancaster, which is, you know, I, I would walk to work. From Hamilton. From Hamilton. So, yeah, it was, it was like a half-hour walk, but it was a very cathartic walk. Cathartic. Uh, <laughs> 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 it's like, I know that, that area of town. Yeah. How could it be cathartic? <laughs> it's, it's, it's just a bunch of, like, summer. It's like a highway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
from Stone Church to Silver City. Well, I'd listen is to like even Blink sidewalks? 182. There isn't. But <laughs> I don't think there's sidewalks there. No, you walk on the grass. Uh, yeah, it sucks in the winter, but uh, yeah, I'd listen to my Blink 182 album and then, you know, think think shit out or whatever. We're really dating ourselves here. Too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyways, uh, I got fired because when you work at a movie theater, you, you're able to let one guest in with you. You see movies for free and mm-hmm. you get to choose a date or a guest for in my case it was always just a guest uh (laughs) but one time i had a great idea to get two guests in and i thought no one would know i just lied and said oh i'm seeing a 7 30 show and a 9 30 show so could i please have four tickets because the ticket taker guy never really looks he just looks at the first two and if he sees four attached and he kind of sees that they're all for the same movie doesn't realize that two of them are for the 720 show two of them are for the 920 show and this is my colleague handing me a ticket so why would he be trying to cheat me exactly yeah yeah, okay but there was a paper trail so i i go to work the uh the following saturday (laughs) and uh they're like uh I go, hello to the boss. He goes, hi, Shane. Uh, we need to speak to you. <laughs> oh, no. He's like, uh, oh, I understand you took three guests in to see uh, a single movie last week. <laughs> and then I said, yes. And he's like, uh, unfortunately, we're going to have to terminate you. This will, uh, you just go home right now. <laughs> and I was like, uh, why, did, why didn't you just call me and tell me this over the phone? You actually said that to him? Yeah. Any, anyways, this is really the point of the story. The point of the story is... Uh, I got one last heist before I, I left. <laughs> you always do that. One more heist. Yeah. So it was fairly innocent, but uh, my friend Sean, who also got fired a week before me, we kind of had a vendetta. So Sean, uh, his plan was to steal a roll of movie theater paper. Because mo- movie theater paper comes, it's like special paper. It has perforated edges that you can rip. You can't just duplicate that very easily. So uh, Menard... Steals the big role. Now you've used his full name and implicated him in a crime. <laughs> My friends who shall remain nameless <laughs> stole a full role. We buy Photoshop. We get our friend who shall remain nameless to uh, duplicate the fonts and to print out movies we're seeing onto the paper. But we made a rule that even though we're printing off these illegal movie tickets, <laughs> that we're never going to use it to make money. We're only going to use it to see free movies for the rest of our lives. You'd honor. <laughs> For the rest of our lives or until the roll runs out. That roll would never run out. I, this roll would still be – it was fucking huge. Like you'd have to see two movies a day every day for the rest of your life. So everyone's like takes this oath. Uh, one day I'm at a party. I get a call from Menard in a panic that he's in big trouble with the police. I go, what happened? He's like, I was refunding tickets. Oh. I go, oh, no. He's like, yeah, fraud under $5,000. I got to go to court. I'm fucked. <laughs> I start freaking out. I'm panicking because I have some of the software on my computer that's used. <laughs> so in my mind, like, and, and keep in mind, I've seen a lot of movies, especially at this point. So I'm thinking like the CIA is going to come to my house <laughs> and confiscate my computer and stuff. And I'm going to go to jail. But I'm not worried about that. I'm worried because... It's like the infancy of the internet, and I just got really into porn. So I'm like, they're going to catch all my porn, and I'm going to be humiliated. Because, like, at this point, like, people think it's normal that everyone talks like, ah, yeah, I masturbate. At this point, when I was 19, guys didn't admit they masturbated, not even to each other. So I thought I was the only guy in the world who was masturbating and watching porn. I thought I was – and I have, like, a sister and a mother, so they don't understand either. So I was always, like, a freak, right? 
So I'm super paranoid, but I just bought this computer tower and I also don't know how to clear the internet history. <laughs> like I have no clue. I like that you were able to figure out how to use Photoshop and I didn't. That was the other guy's job. Oh, got you. I was the mastermind. <laughs> you were the technician. Yeah, right. It's like, you know, bosses never know how to do stuff. They just dictate. <laughs> I was that guy. So I'm freaking out and I know Menard, sorry, this other guy. He, <laughs> they won't piece that together. Uh, he's a bit of a snitch, this one guy. So I know if they get him in a, uh, if they get him in a room, like under the hot lamp, he's going to say, they're going to say who's involved myself and the other guy we're going to be implicated so i go home and grab my computer tower because i don't know what to do <laughs> and i throw it in the dumpster behind <laughs> Max. <laughs> 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 yeah, and this was kind of like my family computer, even though I had like dumb monopolized all the computer time recently for jerking off. Recently. <laughs> so I had to just buy another computer tower, oh, and then God. I vowed never to use porn on it, so I never get in a situation like this again. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, that was a couple weeks, but still. That's it. That's the episode. Feeling pretty good about it. I, it was fun. You can learn more about the things we talked about on the show and in the interview with Lights on much.com slash Mike on Much. You can subscribe to the Mike on Much podcast on iTunes. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at Mike on Much. I secured those handles. You Thank got you those. Much. I got them. We got them. I got them. We're like legit. Yeah. Just waiting to be verified by the people at Twitter. Well, how do you get that little blue check mark? You would know. You're in the Arkells. I know, but they just, you know, anointed it to us one day. Really? Yeah, just out of the blue. Yeah, I'm sure you worked hard for this. No, well, actually, I did email someone at Twitter one time. Asking <laughs> about it. Um, all the artwork for the show is done by Jenna Gregory. You can find more of her stuff at jennasdoodles.com. She's an amazing artist. We want to thank Shane Cunningham for coming on and being so candid. We want to give a huge thank you to Lights for coming on and giving us your time. She with was incredible. Um, the Mike on Much podcast is produced by Max Kerman, and I am your host, Mike Veerman. <laughs>